Hello and welcome to our podcast. I'm Lee Teschler, Executive Editor of Design World Magazine, and I'm on the line with Brad Golddentz, Founder and President of Golddentz Group Incorporated, a 28-year-old Needham, Massachusetts consulting, market research, and education firm that advises companies on how to get better at doing product strategy, product development, and product commercialization. Now, Brad's an expert on product development practices and he's here today to talk to us about a relatively new kind of product development technique that companies are starting to use to get more productive and to get more juice out of their product development efforts. It's called open innovation. Now Brad, what exactly is open innovation? Well Lee, thank you for having me today. Open innovation is going outside of your firm to invent or innovate on things that you need for your product line. It could be said to be the acquisition of innovation. If I was from operations, I might classify it as buy versus make, a trade-off decision that operations folks have to do all the time. It started with roots uh, probably back in the 1980s when manufacturing was at the beginning of outsourcing and instead of making a product in their plant they would outsource the manufacturing of the product and little by little as that migrated outside of the firm over 15 or 20 years such that outsourcing is a very regular thing R&D probably is in lack of a better word copycat mode that when there's not enough capacity to do something inside or the skill set from outside companies are stronger, you might consider actually having them do the design, outsourcing your design. And so getting the innovation or invention that you need to meet your business plan or product strategy using outside resources is a good working definition for open innovation. Now, Brad, I think some people might get the idea that open innovation is just kind of another word for outsourcing, but that's not really what it is, is it? I mean, so what exactly is the big difference between open innovation and ordinary R&D efforts? Well, there's a wide range of things that you can go in an open manner with, but the differences are also numerous. For example, if you did not have an expertise in your company, but your product that you were working on required that expertise, it could take you 12, 14, 15 months, uh, even longer than that, to hire in the expert and put them on staff and get them up to speed. And were you to identify a firm outside that already knew how to address that specific piece of the product, literally they could be designing it in two weeks. So you have a real time to market advantage sometimes where you have the need for, again, a similar competency versus building it inside. You could decide you did not want to do that. And this one might be a competency that would go over several products, not just a single product, a whole product line. And you you could engage in a joint venture to do the design for that, and that would save you having to build the whole department. And again, save time in creating that department and reduce your fixed costs. Brad, that brings up another question. Why should design engineers care about this? It sounds like it might actually end up increasing their workload. Is that often the case or no? Well, I won't rule out that the workload could be increased. I'd probably start by thinking that it does give you more options. 
risky things off of your table that might be a little bit beyond engineers' comfort zone at the moment. So in that sense, it's a big advantage. In the process of doing it, certainly there's always going to be a learning curve uh, like anything new. But once that learning curve is over, it gives you a chance to expand your network. You're going to meet people outside of your company, quite possibly deepens your insight into how other companies run. Many people stay with the company for a long period of time historically, and now the tendency seems to be to switch more often. And so you're going to meet new people in other companies that are doing things that you do for a living as well, and that might increase your flexibility if the employment situation doesn't work out or it's time for a change. You're, you've been working all along with people in other companies and get a feel for whether or not you like that. So it might open up some employment opportunities. Certainly, you're going to learn a bit more about intellectual property and whether or not you've accepted that IP is going to become increasingly important in day-to-day -day design activities. This open innovation stuff will certainly expose you to more about how intellectual property works. And you'll also end up meeting a lot more different people in your own company that you're there now because these outside relationships have to be orchestrated by folks outside of R&D. So you probably also learn more about people in your own company and further your network that way. I see. Now, the open innovation is a relatively new thing, but some companies have started to accumulate some experience with it. Are they finding that it actually costs less to do open innovation than ordinary R&D, or is it, does it sometimes cost more? Well, most folks in the workplace today have been working during the period of time that their companies have been setting up relationships in, in China and in India. And to some extent, uh, there's an analogy there that it takes time to kind of put those channels in place and structures and people that are responsible for those longer distance activities. And so there is, as with any new thing, a kind of investment and small learning curve to get moving. Once you're moving in that direction, it probably depends on the exact type of open innovation that you're hoping to achieve. For example, if you were looking to simply get ideas from the outside, most folks are familiar with crowdcasting and crowdsourcing, and the makers and entrepreneurs are familiar with crowdfunding. There's people that are standing up new monies for their firm all the time using these funding websites in the last few years. And so that's a relatively small investment that someone with IT prowess picks your brain and you tell them what it is you're searching for and a few days later you have a website that folks can bring information into for you from the outside. On the other end of the spectrum could be setting up a relationship or increasing existing relationships with universities and educational institutions. They have their own needs for how they wish to go about assisting corporations and usually they're hoping to get a three to five year agreement and so that could take a little bit more time but maybe not so much more money. Another type of open innovation could be working with private industry consortia groups and and there are only a limited number of those that exist today so you might find yourself trying to set up the infrastructure for that. A Procter & Gamble for example which has probably had the most success with open innovation over the course of time to the extent that they say approximately 40 to 50 percent of their current revenues for the company as a whole have come from their open 
is now about 12 or 15 years old. That type of uh, spearheading into new industries or getting a group of companies together could have some overhead. Gotcha. Well, Brad, we're kind of coming to the end of our time today. So thanks for your insights and your expertise. But before we go, where can listeners go to get more information about R&D, about open innovation, or go to uh, get in touch with you to talk more about this? Well, our website is www.goldensgroupinc.com. The spelling of my last name, G-O-L-D-E-N-S-E, groupinc.com. We have executive education events on a regular basis, and open innovation is one of the subjects that we cover in a fair amount of detail. Henry Chesbro, C-H-E-S-B-R-O-U-G-H, is probably credited with beginning this body of knowledge about 10 years ago, and Mr. Chesbro has written at least three books on open innovation, which most people that practice it make sure that they have read Henry's books. I'd also say that you could look at the intellectual property exchanges, people that are attempting to say, hey, we have something we'd be willing to license or sell, and others are out there looking to license or buy something. And those farther along, farther down the road, intellectual property exchanges are probably going to expand to include things that are not patents and other types of registered IP, just trying to be matchmaking between people that have something they're willing to share and folks that are looking for something they need. Great. Okay, Brad. Well, thanks again. And thanks to our listeners for spending part of your day with us. Have a productive rest of the day. Thank you, Lee. Good.